The QC Pod is a production of the Queen's Podcast Lab. For more, visit queenspodcastlab.org. This is the QC Pod, a podcast about the people, ideas, and projects that make up the Queen's College community. I'm Joseph Cohen from Sociology. Today we talk to Ava Fernandez and Michelle Fraboni, former and current directors of the Center for Teaching and Learning, about learning online and how to succeed in online college during this COVID fall. Ava Fernandez and Michelle Fraboni talk about the challenges of learning online and how to survive it next. Fall is coming and COVID is still with us in New York City that our students at Queens College are going to be learning online and be learning from home. But now that we're getting a second go at it, I thought it might be a good time to talk to Queens College's educational technology gurus, Michelle Fraboni and Ava Fernandez, about how to succeed in online classes. What are the tips? What are the hacks? How, how do you do it right? How do you how do you how do you learn? Uh, you know when when the campus is closed. So first of all, thank you for joining us, Ava and Michelle. I, I, let's say first, uh, Ava. Do you want to very quickly just uh, tell us your formal role at Queens College? Sure, I'm uh, the associate provost for innovation and student success at the college. All right, and Michelle. Uh, I am a faculty member in the elementary education department, teaching educational technology, and I'm currently running the center for teaching and learning. And quickly, what's the Center for Teaching and Learning for people who don't know? What do you guys do there? At the Center for Teaching and Learning, we work with faculty who want to improve their teaching. Yeah. It's like, uh, they're like the teachers who teach the teachers how to teach, basically. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they're very, and, and, and let me ask you this, just before we start, are professors good students? (laughs) <laughs> or am I just gonna let you not? Are you gonna take the fifth on that one? <laughs> some of them are very, very good students, and some of them are not. That's what I'll say. Let's we'll just leave it at that. So not, unless you want to chime in, Ava, would you like to? Well, I I want to say that uh, what's what really works when you're in a workshop as a professor is when you embrace the fact that you're a learner. And some of the most successful workshops, in my experience, are the ones where we put the faculty in the seat of of what a student might experience. And I'm sure Michelle has plenty of examples from the uh, from from the recent explosion of workshops at the Center of Learning. <laughs> um, but, you know, to me, it's a good sign when somebody complains and says, oh my God, you guys made us work so hard during that workshop. <laughs> because that usually yes. means that you learned something really valuable. Right, yes. And, and very briefly, um, in, in the workshops that we're running right now, we make it a point to tell faculty that you are, we're setting this up as a class and they are participating as students and eventually they transition over into building their own um, online courses. Cool. So, so. They, they like get to sit in the shoes of the students for a they bit do. and just see it from the other side. They do. So you guys are, uh, you've been working in, uh, on the, you know, on research at the intersection of education and technology for years now, for as long as I, I've been here at Queens College, and I am firmly middle-aged now. I'm no, lo- no longer one of the young <laughs> faculty members. Uh, 
But uh, I, I bet you, I, I was hoping you guys could uh, give all the students who are worried about teaching maybe some tips on how to survive. Like moving online was tough for people. It's like a, it felt like a totally different way of going to school. And I think a lot of students were like, all right, maybe I got to do things a little differently when things are online, like just adopt some different strategies or look at my, you know, my, my, you know, how I'm, uh, you know, how I'm approaching school. So what are the big challenges when students uh, uh, start learning online? Like what, why was it so hard for people? Well, so we're still trying to wrap our brains around exactly what's happened. Um, my office ran a large survey. We got um, over 1,100 responses so far. We haven't quite analyzed the data, but we're but we're seeing uh, it, that will help us document some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't. One of the things that's really surprised me in in the responses of that survey is how many students express gratitude, like real sincere, important, strong gratitude for all their professors. I can't tell you how many of them in the open comments said things like, we did it. Thank you. You really tried your hardest. It really, it really, you made it work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. At the same time, um, it, again, we haven't quantified this yet, but there's uh, so many responses along the lines of online learning sucks. Um, this was the worst semester of my life. Please, when can we come back and be in person because it's not working? So, um, and some of it is because, uh, because of course, it was not a normal online semester. It was, um, as Michelle uh, likes to call it, right? It, it was emergency remote teaching. It was not online instruction. Right. Um, and well, what's, it, the, wait, what's the difference between the two? Just for people, like, remote teaching isn't that the same as online instruction? Well, it is in some respects, remote teaching. But in, in an online class, ideally, you have time to plan it out, to, to really think everything through and, and plan the student interactions and plan the assignments. This was, you know, it was an emergency for all of us to be taken online. And yeah, so... It and I and I think I mean uh, it was it was responding to the emergency. Everybody was under a lot of duress, not just mm -hmm. the students, but right. everybody. Some some uh, faculty actually were experiencing significant problems with access to technology. Right. Um, we had professors in certain departments who did not have a computer at home, and even a handful who did not have stable access to the internet from home. Right. So imagine. Um, Imagine what that does for you when your department is all of a sudden asking you, well, now your class is online, you know, go figure it out. Mm -hmm. So, so, so there's, there's that. There's also the fact that um, you don't, you may not have enough time to really uh, do the, the pivots that you need to do. I mean, some people manage masterfully. We heard from a couple of uh, physics professors a couple of weeks ago who said, well, you know, I tried these online exams. They were horrible. They didn't work students wanted to cheat, et cetera, et cetera. So I decided to do project-based learning for the rest of the semester. And it worked out really well. Of course, you know, Michelle and I are in the background thinking, yes, they're, they're actually doing better teaching this way. Right. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a pandemic. Yes. 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 Um, but, but not everybody has the time or the, or the wherewithal to be able to pivot that quickly. Um, uh, so, 
so yeah it's it's definitely not the same thing um yeah the leap must be bigger or smaller for the department like in data analytics we really didn't have much of a problem because we had the students to tell us how to do it <laughs> you know, like, yeah like, how do i do this and there was always a bunch of smart kids who were like mm -hmm. all right I don't right, worry, problem. Right. I gotcha. But like, so it, last semester was like an emergency transition, and now we're sort of more ready. Like, we, we won't be surprised if we have to be at home. So here's my first question: What do you do if you don't have like a good computer available to you, or you know, you live at home and you got to share the computer with four siblings, and you get like three hours a day, and the internet sucks? Like, what do students in those situations? What can they do in advance to make sure that this semester works a little better? That's a great question. So we have um, one of the data points that is recurring from different kinds of surveys is that our students, for the most part, have access to the tools that they need. But of course, that small percentage that do not will suffer tremendously if they don't have access to a computer. The university yeah. actually purchased a ton of Chromebooks and iPads, which it started distributing in the middle of the pandemic. We were... Uh, we're really involved in my office was uh, was entrenched in some of that work. It was uh, it, it was a very interesting experience where we overnight we had to set up a method for collecting what students would be uh, would be needing these devices. How were we were we going to get their information at the beginning? We thought that we could have them come into campus and pick up the devices. Um, but eventually we realized that that would not be feasible given the the exposure that we might um, put students through if they were to come to campus right. on public right. transport to pick up a machine from somebody who might be wearing gloves and a mask, but who knows what kind of right. um, what kind of issues. So we quickly set up a, a, a methodology for shipping the devices to the students. Um, we've managed to ship out, I don't know, over 350 devices so far, which if you think about it is actually a pretty small number given yeah. that we have about 19,000 students. Yeah. Um, there were, it was not a perfect process, I'll tell you that much. And there were uh, issues with devices not being received by the students or, um, and, and things like that. And some students actually went through the whole semester having asked for a device, but not having it yeah. until after finals. So what can students do? Well, if you know that you're taking classes in the fall and you have, um, access to technology problems, that is you're sharing a device with your little sister or um, your computer is broken, ask us for a Chromebook or an iPad. Chances are we can get it to you during the summer and you'll have it beginning of fall. The process is so much more smooth now. Um, so, so there's that. What we haven't been able to solve yet really is internet access issues. Right. And that's that's one of the my to dos for the summer to kind of figure out what is going on with um, some of the industry providers that are providing free access. Are they still? Mm -hmm. Will they still in the fall? Um, and it, short of that, can we get some funds to to distribute um, hotspots to people? Wi-Fi in the parking um, lot or something? Yeah. Like some, well, some actually some some students have discovered that they can do that. Um, but I would say that Wi-Fi in the parking lot is not exactly a great way. I mean, unless we cast it kind of like, um, like what is it, a drive-in movie theater? Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which actually could be a good social thing, um, but I wouldn't want to rely on that as a student. I mean, doing work yeah. in your car is 
is horrible. Wow. I know because I've done it. It's, it's not good. <laughs> what about if a student is in a field of work that is computing intensive and they need like a Windows device or something like that? Is there anything they can do? So... There, we we have a limited number of computers, some of which have already been given to students. Um, we have had particular problems with one of our majors that requires laptops as a laptop requirement. But of mm -hmm. course, uh, this laptop requirement was never really being enacted. There are certain students in that major that were highly dependent on the labs. Um, yeah. I, I suspect that one of the things we'll try and do as more access to campus is, is a little bit opened up, um, is to give those students limited access to computing facilities on campus. Um, mm. and of course the other solution is to acquire more devices to support those students right. that need something mm -hmm. more, more advanced, um, to the extent that New York City will begin to open up a little at a time, are there, other are there library facilities or are there colleges near their homes that that will have facilities that people can use um i'll repeat that that's a, a really limited number of students but of course if you are that student that needs that device and you can't do your work because you can't run adobe creative cloud on your on a chromebook yes. yeah. that's that's a major problem um so we need to we need to put our heads together and do more work around that and then, okay, let's say you do manage to have a computer. Like, there's a lot more to surviving, uh, you know, a semester of online learning than just having the device, right? There's, like, habits and skills and things that you got to figure out. Like, what do you have to do? Like, what does a successful online student know to do? Log in. Often. <laughs> Often. Daily, if possible. Twice a day, if you have to. Like, showing up is half the battle showing up communicate with your professor if you don't understand something you communicate immediately mm -hmm. send an email out um and and ask ask questions um of your of your peers um hope most most well-crafted online classes will have some sort of a discussion forum, uh, you know, and it's a general forum where you can ask any questions. And I would say, ask those questions publicly and, and try to connect with other people. Let's say you don't have a professor who sets up a good, uh, that sets up, you know, some type of good Blackboard site where people can, uh, can talk. Is there a way that maybe students can put together a Google group to talk among themselves or something like, is that a cool idea or would that work? I think that's awesome. And we actually have a, uh, a brand new app that we started rolling out right before the pandemic. It's called QC Navigate, which has a feature that lets you find study buddies for people, for, for your classes. Nice. So you download the app, you use your CUNY credentials to log in. It shows you the classes that you're taking. And suppose I'm taking a class with a professor Cohen in the sociology department. And, you know, he hasn't really been really good at explaining, you know, whatever social theory. And I really want to connect with one of my peers, but I don't have their phone number. Well, I can find that peer do through the study buddy app, a part of yeah. the app. Um, and I mean, what Michelle said, the ask, ask questions is so important. If you're too embarrassed to ask a professor, you can start by asking a peer, 
But I, I think that we need to empower all of our students to not be afraid to ask the professor because yes. some of sometimes like it's like oh I didn't I didn't realize that I wasn't making this clear. Um, we've also, because of the pandemic, we've also set up uh, methodologies for students to speak up even in places where they've tried and it hasn't worked or they've, they haven't really thought to try. We set up um, pretty early on a keep learning inbox. So um, it's, it's just an email that you can send if you're a student with any kind of concern. And we kind of, um, that inbox connects students to the resources that they may not know exist. Like, for example, I didn't know I could order a laptop or I didn't know that if I need to dispute a grade, the process is X and so. But in many of those cases, what we've managed to do is kind of negotiate the conversation with the professor about something that might not be going right in class. Um, so so there's a lot of options that people have, but at, not being afraid to ask questions is, is yeah. super important. Your professor should, at the very least, if your professor doesn't want to organize something, uh, then your professor might, at the very least, just pass along the class emails. And if a student in the class takes the initiative to write to everybody, be like, hey, let's all go meet on Google Hangouts, or let's do a Zoom and just say hello and see who wants to band together to survive this thing. Right. That's what our kids did in the analytic. I mean... They're strong kids and they know how to survive and they always just get right together without our intervention. Like they're buzzing behind our backs almost immediately. But that's what you want. Yeah. And you know what else students don't realize is like all, all of those, like I think when students think of networking at school, they think of networking with their professor uh, and, yes. or people who are senior who can help them along. And yeah, that kind of occurs. But what you don't realize until you're in middle age is like <laughs> all those kids who you're trying to survive with, yes. you're all going to be college graduates, 20 years in the business, you're all going to sort of be mid-career people. And you're going to wake up and be like, yeah, I know someone in that organization, that mm -hmm. organization. And the difference is that the network contacts who you grew up with, they will actually do you a favor because they know you on a personal level. You're an yeah. actual friend rather than some instrumental contact. So in general, I think students should reach out and make friends. It's just, it's a great career choice. It's yeah. a good survival choice. And of course, you know, friends, people need friends. You need friends in school. Oh my God, absolutely. I wish, I wish that we had more institutional vehicles for making that happen, you know? Yeah. Um, we have uh, peer mentors in some STEM classes. The Writing Center is trying to pivot and, and be more peer-based um, in terms of the supports and, and services that it offers. And um, frankly, I mean, people just learn better from their peers. Uh, we yeah. know that from child language acquisition. You don't sound like your parents. You sound like your peers. You sound like yeah. friends in terms of your yeah. accent. And I think it's the same thing with, with the content that we're trying to kind of yeah. impart to students. Absolutely. And I want to jump in really quickly here. In the education department, in elementary education, we actually have a community for students interested in elementary ed who have transferred from other schools. It's called Transitions to Teaching. And it's the same idea. It's this community and you have this place to belong. And, uh, and they are actually connecting with each other outside of events. And uh, it's so it's the same. Awesome. That's awesome. Thing, yeah. That is awesome. You know, also, 
if I were to have a student advisee, I would probably say, you know, if you are concerned, write a letter to a prof, see who's responsive before you enroll in a class, see who's like, see who's just nice to young people. <laughs> That's Drop a really a good point. See who'll give you the time of day. And then, you know, I, I think a lot of students think we're like, you know, we're sitting there and very judgy and stuff, but like, <laughs> we're all just doing our best. And if you just say to your prof, find a prof who you can say, man, I'm having a tough time. You think like maybe you got some ideas. Could we get together, do a Zoom? Would you mind chatting with me? And and the prof isn't mad that you're asking to have a talk with him for 15 minutes. So like choose, choose your faculty wisely as well. Um, uh, might be that's, that's really good advice you know every I, I've had very few students do that to me in my career but the ones that I have had done that have were always the superstars in my class maybe because I noticed them more because they connected with me before class I, I guess this also reminds me that a really good practice for anybody teaching online is to take online office hours really seriously Absolutely. and in fact I mean for what we know so this whole pandemic has thrown a wrench into what we thought we knew about online learning because mm -hmm. you know at the beginning we were recommending to people oh just do asynchronous instruction mm -hmm. that is yeah. you know set up a discussion board and maybe record yourself for an hour and then have them watch it and talk about it mm -hmm. um students really want that interaction that's face to face even though it's in yeah. the little boxes in zoom um yeah. and uh i think that you can you can serve that need by having office hours where students can come and just talk to you. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's really important and it provides students also an opportunity to hone all sorts of skills, including like how do you talk to people in the discipline and how do you learn to formulate questions um, in a less threatening environment and in a place where you can show more what you know. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 make a mistake, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly, because mm -hmm. it's an office hour, so it's kind of, yeah. it's it's yeah. not formal. Um, yeah, yeah. And just so we're clear to students, office hours are required. They are part of the professor's job when they're teaching you. Like mm -hmm. we have to have office hours, and it's part of our job. And if you think about it, what is university, right? Uh, you know, uh, it's you're interacting with experts in fields like that's the meat of what this institution has to offer. And if you're going to take full advantage of your tuition money, swing by because office yes. hours are part of class. And if you don't have if you don't personally know, like an older person who is a psychologist and you want to talk to a psychologist, we got like 30 of them. So just go <laughs> ahead and say hello. Want to talk to somebody who is experienced in teaching? Like, that's what you're paying for with your tuition at mm -hmm. its root. And so, like, do it. And, and again, students, uh, find professors who are open to giving, you know, to doing this part of their job properly, the part that they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I, I'm, seeing, yes. I'm seeing a campaign called, you know, get your money's worth, come to office hours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I, there is... Like office hours are enjoyable in some way because the students who show up 
to office hours are the students who are into what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And like, you're a professor, you're not in it for the money. You're in it because you like talking about (laughs) what you do. (laughs) It's like, quite candidly, I probably would have earned way more money being like the manager of a Walmart store or something like that. But I love sociology (laughs) and statistics. So if a young person wants to swing by and chat about programming or hatching plans or whatever, like that's, that's, that should be something that brings you to the business anyways, right? It's a pleasure. So if you're enthusiastic, if you love talking about, you know, the topic, or you just want to sort of muse or whatever, like your profs love, should love that topic too. And so like swing by, you know, that, that's what college is about. I remember in my undergraduate, I made full use of office hours. Uh, a lot of professors became almost like parental figures a little bit, like yeah. not obviously not completely, but they were some of the adults who just helped me along with life advice. And so you're missing out if you're not doing it. And and you're saying it's essential for online or it's more helpful just because you might not be able to say hello at the beginning of class or after like you normally would or catch them in the quad or something like that. Exactly. I think people are really starving for this. The The reports of loneliness are significant and we can fill some of those voids by, by making ourselves available. I've gotten reports. Uh, one of the folks who, um, who's in my, in my circle of, uh, of departments, uh, oversees an honors program. And she says that she never has students visit during her office hours. Not as much as this semester. <laughs> yeah. Real they good. stay longer and they have deeper conversations. Um, yeah. So I think uh, just making yourself available for that and, yeah. and making the time for that. And like you said, I mean, we're paid for it. You can even count it as part of your contact hours if you structure it. And I think it's also important to, to remember, you said it before, that the students who are really deeply engaged will participate. So how do you get the ones that are not to go yeah. and visit? And to have a meaningful interaction. I mean, so require it. So uh, a way of restructuring your class would be, well, so instead of having you come for three hours every week, one of those hours is going to be required office hours. And we're going to do something like, you know, review an essay that you wrote together or discuss something about the content or maybe do group-based uh, uh, review okay. sessions. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do with that time that will be more unstructured, a little bit more personal, and probably will really help your students, not just the ones that are in the A, A plus range, mm-hmm. but, right. but maybe wow. some of the B minus and C plus students to move you know them that's, higher. That's a great piece of advice. And again, if you're listening to this and you're in a class and that's something that you'd like to see and you know who you're signing up, drop your profit note. Just be like, hey, do you think do you think instead of having just like all one class, could we break it up? Into, I mean, that's a great idea uh, that I'd consider. Wow. A- any other tips uh, before we wrap it up? Um, the the behavioral economists who um, who do nudging, I think, keep coming to mind in this world of online. Um, you know, the more that you remind students where they need to be, what they need to be do, doing, um, and have those nudges and reminders be redundant, sending them just one way may not work for everyone. So right. send an email posted on Blackboard. Some people are using apps that will send text reminders. Um, we have this new system called QC Navigate that 
as an instructor, you can log in and send all of your students a text. Um, so I, I would say that that's a really important tip for, for instructors. And for students, if you're in that position where you're not getting the communication from your professor, let them know and, and tell them what would work. Um, most of the time, I think they will listen. Michelle, anything or? I would just say, and I guess it's reiterating what I said earlier, and that is just participate, participate in any way that you can, because um, that's what it is. You you just need to interact with other students and um, get as much as you can out of the course. You know, a lot of students, they take their relationship with us they think a lot about impression management and social engineering and gaining favor and things like that and i always tell students you know if you just dive right into the topic and you get good at it i mean Mm -hmm. i guess that's for statistics i mean you know it's it's really obvious in our 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 field if you're learning it or not and just like enjoy it like you signed up for analytics because you like it I have, I have a, a, a I'll, I'll give one piece of advice about the nudging, because I know that learning to work uh, in an unstructured environment where you have to structure your own environment or your own workflow and make sure that you get everything done. That's a transition. Mm-hmm. They're like, I, I didn't learn until well into my 20s. If, I, if I'm honest, I barely got through college without having, you know, really learned something. But I have, uh, uh, there's a, concept so some some uh things that students should look into there's a book called getting things done oh, that's that a i like a lot yeah uh, yeah it's very practical getting things done go get that book and uh take a look i do that you know i my life is organized with gmail and google calendar and uh an app called the todoist and uh, between the three of those, that's how I keep my life organized. And I use that getting things done. And I was really glad when someone introduced that book to me when I was younger. And I've been using it for, for years. That's the kind of book that gives me palpitations because I know I should be doing all those things and I'm not. Yeah. Sorry. No, but at least interrogating the fact that, you know, there are things that you could be following in order to make yourself uh, more, be more in control, I think really helps. Um, you know, the, the basic thrust of it that I use is the, is don't try to remember everything. Actually, let computers do the remembering for you. Mm-hmm. Like when you get an email, if you can complete the email in a minute, then just complete it and then get it done. If it's not a good time, like for example, whenever I get something about money, I deal with that on Saturday morning and I'll just snooze the email to Saturday morning or whatever. And if there's something that has to be done, I put it on my to-do list. And every day I wake up and I try to make my inbox zero Either everything snoozed, replied, or archived. You try to get the box zero. And then you just try to finish your list and make it manageable. And uh, maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a little video on that at some point. I think you should, and I think I will watch it because I envy all of you inbox zero people because that will never happen for me. Inbox yeah. zero, I that is not a word in my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Fraboni, Ava Fernandez, it's a pleasure to uh, talk to both of you. Thank you for coming on the show today.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. You've been listening to the QC Pod, the podcast about all things Queen's College. We're on Twitter at QC Pod and on the web at queenspodcastlab.org slash QC Pod. Our theme music is Lake Monsters by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants. I'm Joseph Cohen. Thanks for listening.